Today we discuss art with Zoe Charlton. Zoe is an amazing artist who I've known for many years and when you hear about her work and when you see what she's doing, I think she'll become one of your favorite artists too. Please enjoy another episode of the Bees and Honey podcast. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning. How are you doing, Nico? Good. Is this early for you in the studio or, or are you normally at your studio super early in the morning? Actually, it's not early. I, depending on where I'm going, it might actually be earlier. So when I'm working in my studio in DC, I typically leave Baltimore about five thirty, six o'clock. So I can get mm-hmm. in around seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm working out of Baltimore, um, I'm mm-hmm. here by six o'clock easily. So it's not early. <laughs> right. That's good to know. So you have two studios, one in DC and one in Baltimore. Yeah. I had to uh, get a studio in Baltimore um, last year while I was on leave. I spent about a year away from my job, which mm-hmm. was great. But instead of spending that time driving back and forth to a studio, I uh, found a space not too far from where I live just so that I could work without, yes. you know, spending you know, two and a half hours a day on the road. Right. And tell us what your work is again. What do you do outside of the studio practice? Okay. So I am faculty at American University in the studio art program. I've been there for actually 16 years. Wow. Yeah, wow. So I know. Isn't that wild? I teach yeah. drawing, um, sometimes painting. Uh, grad students in a research-based course and first-year thesis classes. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds yeah. really uh, satisfying in a way. You know, it can be. It can be. I, I think I am uh, fortunate to have a lot of the things that I do surrounding art. So in yeah. that regard, yes, it is. Definitely it is. Well, tell us, uh, describe your art and tell us what you're currently working on. Okay, so I am primarily a drawer. That's usually how I talk about everything that I do as a drawing practice. But Mm -hmm. um, I'm a a figure drawer. Mm -hmm. People come into the studio. I make drawings for observations. Sometimes I work from photographs. Um, Mm -hmm. I also uh, make collages, which I still consider drawings. Um, Mm -hmm. And they range in a variety of sizes from small nine by 12 inches to larger ones that, you know, are a hundred plus inches tall and a hundred inches wide. So it really Mm -hmm. depends on the particular um, body of work that I'm doing. I also make uh, animations and some videos Mm -hmm. and occasionally dabble in sculpture Mm -hmm. (laughs) and installation. And I frequently collaborate with other artists. Yes. Uh, well, that's what I've seen uh, some of recently. And I remember last time I met you, which is probably about a little more than a year ago, you were just taking down that uh, installation of the house. Do you remember that house that you right. had? Right. Yes. So that was in San Antonio. That um, that a house was produced by uh, artists in concert with artists and an organization called Art Pace. Art Pace is a mm-hmm. residency that's been around for a long time that was started mm-hmm. by Linda Pace. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's an invitational residency. Um, you, you are typically curated into the residency and the curator for 
my round was Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, who is the executive director at Three Walls. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I made a replica of my grandmother's house and it's a, it's a half scale, basically a half scale model of her home and mm-hmm. uh, from memory. And I was really excited about that because I wanted to talk about her in a way mm-hmm. that symbolically represented how I remembered her house, the property that she lived on, the people that mm-hmm. went in and out of the house, my relatives, my cousins that lived and moved throughout that house. And, mm-hmm. um, and then also talk about the eventual development of that land by developers after her children sold, my aunts and uncles sold the property. Yes, I think I remember now you were saying to me at the time, she was one of the rare African-American women to own property in Florida or probably even in the entire U.S. now that I think well, of it. So, no, I think that there is, a, I know that there is a history of Black folks owning property um, as far back as we can remember, as we we remember in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. she started purchasing land in the forties, um, with her, um, with her husband. And, um, and what I, what I was talking about is the rarity of that occurrence in the forties in the panhandle of mm-hmm. Florida. There are people mm-hmm. that have family property, definitely, mm-hmm. of course, but it struck me as something, uh, unusual, uh, because of the political climate at the time, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. discrimination, um, and mm-hmm. so I thought it was, I, it's very special when, um, when someone, when a black woman from the forties, um, starts mm-hmm. acquiring tracts of land for her family. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I think that that was unusual. That was unusual. Yeah, definitely. And fantastic. Definitely. And, and amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And inspiring. Yeah. So these memories of your grandmother, which factor into your work, what are the other concerns that are raised uh, in addition to your grandmother? So I, like, for example, there's a lot of nature in your work. Would you say your yeah. art is a celebration of that mother well, nature, a, divine feminine? So there is a lot of nature in the work. I, um, I use it as a way to describe the property that she lived on specifically. And that's where a lot of that comes from or I'm putting mm-hmm. women into those kinds of spaces that might be wild, perceived as wild, um, mm-hmm. unruly landscapes, dense landscapes. And that mm-hmm. makes a, a lot of sense to me, um, especially right now. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when, when you ask me about the, the, um, the divine feminine and mother nature, I think that it's a really mm-hmm. curious question because I started thinking like, well, what is, what is all that? But, you know, if we're mm-hmm. talking about the divine feminine as a way that we think about um, collaboration and um, the way that we uh, relate to each other and uh, caring and uh, kindness, etc., I think that, that mm-hmm. a lot of those ideas are evoked in the work through the way mm-hmm. that I make the work and the people that I work with to do that. Um, it's not mm-hmm. a direct commentary on mother nature or mm-hmm. even a direct commentary on the divine feminine, but surely right. those do, do factor into um, the work's development. Well, I think it's interesting too, that, uh, you know, it's supposedly fashionable and trendy to have African-American bodies uh, in art right now. 
but you've been doing this before it was trendy. And I think that's really important that uh, people start recognizing this figure in art, in art history and in American art history. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's not uh, the, the black body is not a site of ridicule. Right. And so or sexualized or sexualized and, Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that is definitely important. So I, I make figure drawings. I've been making these figure drawings for a long, long time. You're right for a long time. Mm -hmm. It really, mm -hmm. I wanted to see myself in work. I wanted to see myself, i.e. other black women represented in mm -hmm. artwork in ways that were mm -hmm. a confounding or, um, or spoke to the, to the kinds of histories that I was studying at the time. And mm -hmm. I wanted to question the way that those bodies were used, those figures were used in um, work that was, that's a part of a canon, like this sort of grand Western canon. Um, yes. But really it was about me wanting to see myself. Yes. Well, that's, that's a beautiful uh, thing to start celebrating first yourself and then outward. I'm thinking of this artist who's with Gagosian. She's primarily a painter. And she paints herself as well. She's white. She lives in Italy. And uh, she paints these grotesque figures of these big women sort of squashed against glass and stuff like that. Recently, mm -hmm. she had an auction record. Uh, I forget her name right now, but it'll come to me later, I guess. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're seeing uh, women's figures like that uh, out in the market. But hopefully yours will be there soon, too. You know, I think uh, aesthetically... Uh, it's still a challenge for the people who are buying these high-priced works to uh, have this stuff on their wall if it's not somehow uh, lucrative. I mean, that's mm -hmm. my interpretation of it mm -hmm. anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally, I got you. Well, I think that there are the other artists that are making work with bodies like mine that are mm -hmm. um, a part of a larger national conversation. Um, mm -hmm. I think someone like Micheline Thomas is doing the work, doing, definitely doing the work about, um, mm -hmm. inserting black and brown bodies into work. Um, mm -hmm. artists, yeah, artists like Zandra Ibarra, who's a performance artist, is doing the exact same thing. Um, and that artist that you're talking about, yeah, Jenny Sabil is making these large scale yes, yes, figures, yes. but it's mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they are of white women. And so it's not unusual to see, that kind of body in work but the fact that she uh -huh. is as a woman making these kinds of images of that are pressed against the front of a canvas that are pressed against a kind of social uh -huh. space is really important uh -huh. right and i think yes. that um, many black women artists are engaging especially if they work figuratively are engaging in very similar ideas of what it means uh -huh. to insert a um, a brown, brown or black body into a social um, and historical space in those ways, mm -hmm. too. That's important. Yeah, I mean, and also, you, you know, you were talking about um, uh, the body as a part of your work. Uh, this rising tide of interest in sales for African-American subject matter, uh, mm -hmm. Has it influenced your bottom line? I mean, Jenny Seville recently incorporated black women into her latest body of work that was showing yeah. in um, 20 something street and all these masks and African imagery. So 
I think it's something even in the psyche. I, I'm not saying she's appropriating anything. I'm just saying right now that's really strong in the creative psyche. Yeah, it is. Subject matter. It definitely is. I, we're, we're, we're always running back to Picasso, aren't we? <laughs> and the Demoiselle de Avignon. We can't help oh but God, do that. Oh God, I know, oh God, I know. Oh God, I know. Oh God, I know. Oh God. I mean, I know. If there's one figure in art history who epitomizes the patriarchal system, I think I he would be the perfect. And that's why he's revered by all the men. I mean, he's about as it's manly so as any painter. Now we need one to balance it out on the female side. We need a woman to like be as big as Picasso, as strong as, and as, yeah. uh, to just balance all that testosterone. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, I I did a series of work that that takes the same title that takes his title, um, where I'm uh, putting masks different. African masks onto the bodies of black women and white women. And there mm-hmm. are other artists that have done that too. Like even a contemporary artist, um, Makita Huja is doing it. Um, and then older, mm-hmm. older artists are uh, male artists like Mel Ramos did a, a small series based on Picasso's painting. And so I think mm-hmm. like, you know, um, yeah, we can't help but comment on that. Many artists can't can't help but do that. That's so true. Well, a lot of your work is on paper. Like you said, you're a drawer, but have you Mm -hmm. ever done stuff on canvas or no? I I have. I started out as a painter. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of the early work that I was doing, especially when I was showing with um, uh, Wendy Cooper Gallery, who is no longer, um, and, you know, it no longer exists, but um, a lot of that work, uh, many of much of that work were, were paintings and some drawings were primarily paintings and I think that even when I was painting I was drawing so I mm-hmm. really relied on a, a line and gesture to mm-hmm. build up those bodies and um, and mm-hmm. I use color now in a similar way where I use it to tone or to fill in sections um, so the the works on canvas are doing very similar things as the work on paper right yeah yeah now now where are you showing i i know you were with the gallery in dc but then Mm -hmm. i'm not sure what happened after that so i actually so when i uh uh left the gallery in dc um Mm -hmm. we i just started working in my studio and uh working with different Mm -hmm spaces and uh, really thinking about the context of the work that I was making. Mm-hmm. So um, a few years after that, group shows were really important to me to build a better context for the work. So mm-hmm. I'm showing, so I'm doing a few different things. So I have an upcoming project at with Cultural DC at mm-hmm. Union Market, and that opens mm-hmm. up this Saturday. And in that mm-hmm. show, I'll be show, I'll be, uh, debuting some sculptural work i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about this and then in march i have a show with steve grimaldi's gallery which is a one of the longest run galleries in baltimore i'm super excited Mm -hmm. about that and which i will be showing um all but one of my large collages so it'll be very Mm -hmm. ambitious and it'll be great to have them all in one space Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I have a few things coming up in the summer and in the fall, um, two residencies that will be happening, one in Memphis with 
Crosstown Arts. And then um, in December, I'll be at the Iris Project residency in Venice Beach, California. So, well, this is interesting for me because I'm seeing, uh, maybe it's just, me seeing but there are a few really good artists out there including yourself one of them recently i saw she changed her instagram page to describe herself as a independent artist mm -hmm. and uh she's doing the same thing as you she has a few solo shows with galleries she has a few group, group shows that she's been involved with the last few years but she doesn't seem in a hurry to really attach herself to any one gallery i mean she's mm -hmm. doing extremely well uh, with her work, uh, both critically and uh, financially, but um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting that uh, there's so many artists sort of floating around, but still sort of with their feet on the ground. Uh, we, yeah, you know, this is this is amazing. It is. It is. It's, it's the time for this. But I will say, mm -hmm. I am. I have not. My entire artistic career, professional career, has always been mediated through a gallery always. Mm. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's very unusual for me to not have one or to make a decision not to have one. But with that mm -hmm. said, there's been a lot of freedom. I do mm -hmm. think that galleries and gallerists are extremely important. They're really important mm -hmm. in this larger ecosystem of art. Mm -hmm. They, um, you know, as in terms of who sets the tone, who sets pricing, things like that, the mm -hmm. kind of commercial aspects, the business part mm -hmm. of the art world, um, really is is helped and mediated through a gallery system. People's prices mm -hmm. remain the same or increase through galleries. And so, um, and if you have a really strong gallery with a strong gallerist, there's really mm -hmm. not much you can't do, right? But it's the perfect right. thing is, is finding the right fit. Right, finding the I right think fit. that's I think, exactly it, yeah. Right? And often people mm -hmm. um, settle on on a gallery just to be represented. And, and in mm -hmm. my experience, it's it's not the most healthy thing to do. Um, it can be stifling. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, but I, but I do think that they're very valuable. But for me right now, it's really important that I don't have one. And, mm -hmm. um, and it hasn't shifted the way that I'm able to move and work and show. And so for that, I'm really excited about, I, I have um, a lot of supporters that mm -hmm. really believe in the work and, and many of them through whom I've met through galleries and gallerists. Yes. Uh, recently, one of my friends uh, moved. I don't know if she volunteered or if she was pushed out of an auction house. And uh, basically she has to not contact anyone that she worked with there or who she made a contact with there. I guess it's a, a more of a wild west situation when you leave a gallery. It's like it's a free for all. What it you got, you got. All. It's yours. Wow, they made her. They basically right. They made her probably sign a non disclosure agreement and all mm -hmm, sorts of other mm -hmm. things. And wow, non compete. You know, yeah. Non compete. Wow. I hope yeah, that there's yeah. a time limit on that because that's yes, particularly there is. fair. Good. Yeah, I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah, yeah, but a lot of places do because you know galleries don't want you taking their business. I get it. I get it. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, sometimes artists bring business to galleries and that is usually That's not true. reciprocated. That kind of expectation is not uh, re reciprocated. Yeah. So, yeah, there there yeah. are some conditions that <laughs> that don't particularly yeah. sound um, fair. But, yeah. Yes. 
But what about <laughs> museums? I know you've been showing in these uh, spaces around, but uh, have there been uh, some museums showing interest in your work or have you there shown has... interest in them? Yeah, there has. I'm I'm really excited to say that the Phillips Collection just acquired a large piece, one of the very large collages and actually the first one. And I am extremely proud of that, that they mm -hmm. um, that they made uh, a commitment to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. Vesela Stratinovic is the is one of the curators at the at the mm -hmm. museum, and um, mm -hmm. and the Phillips Collection has a, a very traditional um, uh, slant. It's uh, it you, when you go there, you see the canon. Um, they mm -hmm. have an acquisitions committee. It's called the Contemporaries Acquisitions Committee that is very active and very vital. Um, and mm -hmm. the members go around um, DC and the country looking at work, new work, contemporary mm -hmm. work. And it's really exciting that Vesela and the contemporaries have taken this on as a way to uh, bring other work into other kinds of work and artists into the institution. Um, so yes. that's been really exciting. And then the Arkansas Art Center a few years ago acquired mm -hmm. actually one of the first um, drawings in a small series titled The Demoiselles. And so I was really excited mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. And they have a focus on drawing. And um, and so, yeah, so I, I really do love museums. The Birmingham Museum purchased mm -hmm. the piece a little bit before then. And so museums like this are really exciting, especially when they look at that, they make a commitment, they will actually show the work, they don't collect the work to put it in storage. So that's yes. been really wonderful to, to see that and then other people see it. And I do think that when one institution sees um, another institution yeah. value the work of someone, of an artist, yeah. that they too will follow along. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, that is definitely uh, how it works. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, no, normally, I start by asking, uh, how did you start in art? And somehow I skipped that question. But if you want to tell us a little bit of how you began, how you developed from those works on canvas onto the paper and stuff like that, that would be great. Oh, okay. I... Let's see. So in while I was in school, I was studying at um, UT Austin, I was making paintings, primarily paintings. And I went through a pretty significant medical experience where I could not actually move the work and lift the work and make this large scale work. So I was making smaller preparatory sketches for larger drawings. And, um, and after I had so many of them on my studio walls, I started to realize there was a, a visual language and an immediacy that was being communicated through drawing and collage that wasn't happening in the way that I was painting. And so that's how I started making these drawings. And so I translated, I did a one-to-one, -one, translated those sketches onto either canvas or paper. And there was a kind of freshness uh, that, um, that really excited me. And that's how I started moving through um, the particular technique that I still use to this day. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how, yeah, that's how I came to make these larger drawings. And I also mm -hmm. realized that um, that drawing, that drawing was something that I had done from a very young age, but didn't really mm -hmm. come to value until I was an adult an adult studying yeah. in school. And so that yeah. was, um, so it's, yeah, it's been pretty exciting. So I tend to 
think about things through the lens of drawing in a very particular way. So if the collages mm -hmm. have that feeling or that sense, for lack of a better way to mm -hmm. describe it, then I continue with the collages. If sculpture um, has that kind of sense, I do the same thing. So, um, and, and there's a kind of freshness or um, um, a communication of something, an ease of communicating some kind of idea through a particular medium that allows that, um, that, that makes me pursue something, right? Right. But yeah, that's a little bit about how I started. And uh, what about your plans for the future? I mean, if you had one wish for your work right now, well, the direction you'd like to go in, what would that be? Huh. So <laughs> I would, <laughs> that's a super hard question. Because <laughs> the first thing that I would say is that for the future, what I need is a bigger studio. <laughs> and mm. I know that often the size of, of a space can dictate mm -hmm. the things that are done. And because mm -hmm. I work, because I always envision work a certain size, a large size and drawing of a certain mm -hmm. size, um, that mm -hmm. can only happen if I have the space, right? And to be able right. to see things and because I work in series. So my vision for the future is to have a bigger studio and then that, then everything else will follow into that. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, you know, I would love to have more, um, exhibitions and partnerships with other um, kinds of spaces, uh, whether they're mm -hmm. artist-run initiatives or institutions, museum institutions, but I'd like to see uh, an entire body of work in one space um, so that it has a kind of criticality or critical um, uh, mass. Yes. Um, yeah. So, that, you know, I would like to see that. Yeah. But of okay, course, well, I want I a think bigger studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know what the uh, rents are like compared to like New York. I I don't know. Is it like relatively inexpensive there in Baltimore? It or? is. It's so inexpensive in Baltimore. It's cheaper than it is in D.C. It's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why um, I live in Baltimore and I rent in Baltimore, mm -hmm. rent a studio in Baltimore, I have my house in Baltimore. Um, mm -hmm. But it is considerably cheaper. And I have a studio right now. Um, that is pretty wonderful in, in Baltimore. Um, it's a building that's owned by Trisha Kiner and David Freedom, who are both sculptors. So it's really mm -hmm. great that I'm basically surrounded by a bunch of sculptors. <laughs> and it's only <laughs> us three, and they live upstairs, so it's been fantastic. Wow. I was going to mm -hmm. ask you that next. What is the art scene like over there in Baltimore? It's amazing. Everybody should be living in Baltimore and working in Baltimore. Um, it's funny. I often tell my students when they graduate, mm -hmm. you should just move to Baltimore mm -hmm. and, and be a part of the community. So there are right. so many artist-run initiatives and galleries mm -hmm. and programs mm -hmm. here. And it's a mm -hmm. it's a city that I, I if you are a working artist, you can actually work and live here. Now, Baltimore mm -hmm. doesn't have a particularly large collector base. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of things like if an artist is interested, primarily interested in commercial success, you mm -hmm. might not get that in Baltimore, but you will, mm -hmm. um, be looked at. You will be engaged mm -hmm. by the other, by other artists and institutions mm -hmm. at the same time. So, um, so I think it's a really wonderful place to, to be making work. That's interesting. You know, the last, uh, one of the artists I spoke to recently, Xavier Simmons, she was mm -hmm. also saying to her group of students, 
you know, don't be in such a rush to get to the city, you know, like stay in your community, have a great studio, uh, be where you can afford and the work will eventually find its way, you know, I out. I agree. I agree with her wholeheartedly. Yeah. I think it's really yeah. true. Many people think that they have to be in some kind of city center or mm -hmm. art center, whatever, wherever that is. And mm -hmm. that is just not true. It's not, it hasn't been mm -hmm. true for about 15, 20 years. You, um, well, you yeah. can make work, you can make work anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. because we have so many ways for the work to get out, you know, and, and right. you know, everybody loves the gram, everybody loves Instagram, <laughs> but, you know, I think when you have institutions like the Crystal Bridges, you know, who hosted the Epic Exhibition, um, program and, and studio visiting program, um, state of the art, then that is also another way, to, it, another thing that proves that you don't need to be in blank in order for the work to be seen or to be valued I, or to be exhibited. I don't know about that. Tell me about the Crystal Bridges initiative. So I didn't hear about the, that. The, well, Crystal Bridges um, a few years ago did an exhibit called State of the Art. And mm -hmm. they went on a um, an epic tour of a, a, a variety of so many um, you know, US-based uh, cities and towns mm -hmm. looking mm -hmm. at art and looking at artists' work. Um, they were in mm -hmm. like small towns in the middle of nowhere to large cities. Mm -hmm. And what their mm -hmm. point was, I mean, a lot of times people talk about it as a, as the counter to the Whitney, but what they were mm -hmm. saying is that great, great art is made everywhere. You mm -hmm. just have to actually mm -hmm. look for it. And sometimes the channels that we're typically used to finding artists or seeing art aren't the ones we should mm -hmm. be relying upon. So, um, you know, you can't just go to San Francisco or L.A. or New York, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. Chicago to see the art. You have right. to go right. to the places that are off the beaten path. And so State of the Art was really an amazing. It was just an amazing um, tour. And yeah, exhibition. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And Crystal Bridges is basically... They're the Walton family, basically. Yeah, they are. Right, they are. Yeah. So thanks to, uh, what's that store called again? Walmart. Thanks to Walmart. Walmart. Thanks to Walmart. We have, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you have Walmart, and then you've got Crystal yeah. Bridges. So everything exactly. in between seems to be covered. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That's oh America at its best. There you go. Anyway. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see what happens with Walmart now that China is on lockdown. I mean, a lot of right? stuff comes in from China to there, I imagine. <laughs> I know it does. I know it oh. does. I know. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. I mean, we are pretty much uh, done, I think, with the questions that I had. But if you have anything else you want to add, you know, feel free to add it now. You know, I'm I'm just really excited to be able to to talk with you about some of the things that I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. I also want to say I I belong to a um, a couple of boards that I think are really important and really shifting the way that um, artists are engaged through institutions. And mm -hmm. um, one is the Washington Project for the Arts, who a few mm -hmm. years ago we made a shift in our programming and approach under the direction of Peter Nesbitt, who is our executive director, um, where artists are bringing programming to 
the institution through the WPA and that all mm -hmm. programming is generated by artists, solely by artists. And it's been reflected in the kinds of um, support that we're getting from larger granting institutions. And so it's been really wonderful. And so I would love for people to pay attention to the, what the WPA is doing. And then mm -hmm. also the Maryland State Arts Council is doing some pretty significant work um, um, under the leadership of Ken Skirsis. And he is really thinking about equity and, and inclusion in a way in, from the ground up so that even the, um, even the language that this, the Arts Council, the Maryland State Arts Council uses and adopts uh, mm -hmm. forwards our belief in equity and inclusion. So I think that these are two organizations that I feel very strongly about that mirror my own um, ethics and values in my studio and in my practice. Right. And so I'm really proud to be a part of that, those two. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I'll talk to you once we get offline too. And I, I have had some ideas uh, just speaking to you right now, but I'll save that for when we get off. So I'll say bye now and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Thanks, take Nico. care. Bye. Yeah, have a great day. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bees and Honey podcast. Next week, we're going to do uh, something a little different. We'll be speaking to a collector and what would probably be called one of the original influencers in the art market in America, uh, Mr. Stefan Simchovitz. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I'm not sure who else is, but he has always interesting things to say. So join us next week on the Bees and Honey podcast. Thank you.